Hello, everyone, and welcome to CFRI's research track sessions. I am Julie Desch. Um, I'm 61 years old and I have cystic fibrosis. I serve on the C uh, board of directors of CFRI, and I'm also chair of the research advisory committee. And as uh, the chair and as a member of the research advisory committee, which I think I've been now for at least 15 years, I have the honor of reviewing very uh, innovative and excited exciting research proposals. We have two research programs at CFRI. We have the um, New Horizons Award, which funds PIs in medical and academic institutions across the United States. And then we also have the Elizabeth Nash Memorial Fellowship, and that um, provides support for postdoctoral fellows. So today and tomorrow, our CFRI, CFRI's um, funded researchers are going to be sharing some of their work. CFRI was uh, formed in 1975, and its very first teeny tiny little grant was awarded to none other than Dr. Paul Quinton. Paul, if you're out there, hello. Um, we all know Paul and love him, and we know that he transformed our understanding of cystic fibrosis. Since then, CFRI has funded over $10 million in research grants. Um, to scientists who have dramatically advanced the field. This weekend, we're going to hear from six CFRI-funded researchers. For those of you who are out there interested in applying for funding, our next call for letters of intent will be in the fall. Okay, so let's get started. Our first speaker today is Dr. Stephen Aller. Um, Dr. Aller is an associate professor in the Department of Toxicology and Pharmacology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. As part of an NIH postdoctoral fellowship at the Scripps Research Institute, he established overexpression, purification, and crystallization protocols and solved the X-ray crystal structure of the mammalian ABC protein P glycoprotein, which is a homologue of CFTR. His lab is currently studying the structure and function of CFTR by single particle cryo-EM, which sounds very fancy and he's going to tell us all about it. He's working towards challenging the currently accepted binding location of potentiator drugs to CFTR by patch clamp and cryo-EM. So Dr. Aller is here presenting the role of CFTR arginine 933 in channel function and potentiator binding, binding and efficacy. Well, thank you, Julie, a really great introduction. Uh, my training was an x-ray crystallographer, and I, I hope to actually make myself obsolete with uh, the cryo-EM technique that I'm going to talk about uh, in this really exciting work here uh, with working with this one specific residue in CFTR, uh, arginine 933, which unbelievably has never been studied before. So as you all probably know, there are literally thousands of mutations of our favorite protein that can cause any degree of severity of a malfunction. Uh, the arginine 933 has never been studied before. Uh, and as far as I know, in the CFR, uh, CFTR1 and CFTR databases that are maintained uh, uh, by the CF Foundation uh, and uh, other groups, uh, there, there's only two patients in those databases that have this mutation. Uh, and they have, they have another mutation on their chromosome that actually is worse. So it's hard to know um, what arginine 933 is doing in, in the clinical setting, 
but recently there's been some amazing structures that have come out to point to this residue as being really, really important. And I hope to convince you of that uh, with this talk. So as, as Julie mentioned, I'm a New Horizon awardee. We're halfway through our two years of funding. Uh, I work at UAB School of Medicine, um, in which we also have um, amazing uh, collaborations with uh, the Fleming Cystic Fibrosis Center here at UAB. This is the oldest multidisciplinary CF center in the United States, established in 1981. Uh, and, and this has been such a huge blessing to be able to be a part of the research here because a lot of the work has been contributed by Dr. Wei Wang, who's associated with the center. Um, and recently is uh, directed by Steve Rowe, who has since moved on to be Chief Scientific Officer of the Foundation. But another very critical part of this is a collaboration with Dr. John Kappas, who is also here at UAB, uh, as funded by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, literally to make any amount of purified CFTR with any mutants that I ask for, anyone asks for, uh, and that is incredibly uh, beneficial toward accelerating the research of, of CFTR studies, particularly with uh, this, this study here with this arginine residue. So um, in more general terms, I hope to convince you how the field of structural biology, so I'm a structural biologist. Uh, Julie mentioned I was trained at Scripps in extra crystallography. Uh, I received PhD training at Yale in cryo-EM, but that wasn't single particle cryo-EM. It's the single particle cryo-EM that's totally revolutionized this field. Um, structural biology, and we're trying to we're trying to better understand how these FDA-approved drugs work. Really, at very precise mechanisms, uh, so that we might be able to engineer better drugs. And I I, I tend to coin a, a phrase of structural pharmacology to try to combine really what uh, what this type of talk is and, and what my research interests are. We're trying to understand how pharmacological drugs work at a at a very precise structural level. Uh, with very, very high resolution. Uh, that's a key point in trying, in trying to understand how the compounds work and the drugs work. And so I'm gonna take you all the way back to your chemistry days in high school and show you the periodic table of the elements. Uh, and hopefully this rings a bell and looks familiar because uh, when you were struggling to try to learn hundreds of elements, uh, that's really difficult if someone didn't really organize them for us. And that's what the genius behind this table is is because we can understand chemical elements um, and how they are relate to one another, how they're different to one another, basically by this sort of systematic organization. So you might remember that any column here of elements has very similar uh, outer shell electrons, which makes them chemically similar. So copper and silver and gold, for example, are really, really good conductors as part of their chemical properties. And, and so for the hundred and some elements that we have, we can better understand them all individually as we group them collectively and understand uh, where they uh, fall. And this idea has been taken to an amazing extreme by a lot of creativity. So just this morning, I was uh, surfing the internet for all the different ways that people have arranged uh, 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 entities and ideas in terms of periodic table. It turns out that you can get a periodic table of American history. You can get a periodic table of rare diseases, which is interesting because uh, CF is mentioned. Uh, you can find a periodic table of companies that treat rare diseases. Uh, and, and my favorite is the periodic table of beer styles because I'm a home brewer. Uh, and I didn't even know that anyone did this, but it's really quite genius because it shows the ales and the lagers and 
we have the, the, the same concept that pale ales and, and all these uh, type four uh, beers are all related. So you look down the column and you can see the Pilsners. This is really, really genius uh, because it allows us to understand instances of a system, how they relate to the entire system. And perhaps the most important slide I wanna show you, I found this morning in this search is the periodic chart of amino acids. So you might also remember from your chemistry days is that all the proteins of our bodies are made of building blocks, actually 20 exact building blocks. There's 20 amino acids that make all of our proteins and different combinations of them. Uh, and to put in perspective, DNA is much more simple. DNA is only made of four building blocks, A, C, G, and T. And so DNA can be um, complex in terms of its length, but it only has four building blocks. Proteins are made by 20 building blocks, as you can see on this chart, but it's the same kind of concept. We have columns of amino acids, which are similar to each other. So these in blue, this histidine and this arginine, this lysine, these are positively charged. And the ones all the way at the end, asparagine and glutamate are negatively charged. And we have some in pink, which are uh, hydrophilic. They like to interact with water and they like to interact with themselves and they like to hydrogen bond. And the ones in light blue here are hydrophobic. They like to stay in the membrane of cells, um, but they're all, they all contribute unique chemistry to the protein and they can be arranged in the protein in a myriad of ways. And so proteins that make up life, make up you and me are incredibly complicated. Uh, and confer a lot of different biological activity. And it's, it's all because of these building blocks of amino acids. And this type of chart really helps us understand how amino acids are different and similar to one another. And this is gonna come back in my talk because we're focusing on one single mutation of CFTR that's never been studied before, but turns out to be really, really important part of the protein, especially in uh, potentiator correction by the FDA approved by the CAFTR. So also in Julie's introduction, she mentioned that uh, I was trained in X-ray crystallography and the talk was about cryo-EM. These are the two main techniques in high resolution protein structural biology. X-ray crystallography was born about a hundred years ago and there's several Nobel prizes have been won. And cryo-EM, Cryo-electron microscopy or cryo-EM has come to age, but cryo-EM is way better. Uh, and I hope that uh, I can convince you that because in cryo-EM, we don't even need to grow crystals of proteins anymore. Uh, proteins are difficult to crystallize. Some of them never have crystallized, even though many labs have attempted to crystallize. But for proteins like our favorite protein, CFTR, they're very, very difficult to crystallize because they reside in the cell membrane. This is a hydrophobic fatty compartment that's a very thin layer uh, in which the protein is specially adapted to be stable there, but it also makes them extremely difficult to purify and very difficult to crystallize. So for example, no group has ever crystallized human CFTR. Uh, many groups have tried, including my own, on my own laboratory. Um, and there are other very important human membrane proteins uh, that just have never been crystallized but now we have structures by this newer technique called cryo-EM. Uh, and, and so uh, this movie that you see here is a, is a work from my postdoctoral training that Julie mentioned. This is 
this is an MDR1 multi-drug resistance protein one. It's part of the super family, the same super family that CFTR is in. This is ABCB1, so it's a relative. Um, and I was able to crystallize this protein in 2009. You can see an example of a crystal here. And this is an example of the structure that you get, including the actual data, this beautiful electron mesh. And you can see a lot about this protein from its shape uh, and from its structure and the resolution is good enough to even see these amino acid side chains. But the point I wanna make is it took me about two years to be able to crystallize this protein. And this one is not human. This one comes from the mouse. So in X-ray crystallography to get this beautiful resolution, we have to try to express and purify many different types of the protein from different species. A mouse and human and rat and guinea pig, I think I tried. And it turns out that only the mouse protein would crystallize. And, and you can imagine that's a lot of work uh, to get some structural information for one particular uh, class of proteins. And, and so far, no one has been able to do it for any CFTR. But in the past, actually crystallography was really the only technique that we had to get this kind of resolution. And it was good enough to see really beautiful detail uh, for example, in this next movie, actual uh, drug-like molecules bound deep within the protein to help us understand how they can stimulate or inhibit the molecule. So we could get the detail. We just had to spend a lot of time and money working to get this detail. But all of that has changed. And I, and I hope that I drive myself uh, out of business with respect to switching to cryo-EM because Cryo-EM is the future of structural biology, and it's really making waves, and we'll see that in just a moment with CFTR. So I'd like to show this slide because in the very, very short period of less than 20 years, we have gone from essentially looking at a blobby protein with very low resolution to ultra crisp resolution where we can see all of these 20 amino acids and exactly how they're ordered and exactly how they confer function to the protein. Uh, and this is really incredible how this has changed the game, in fact, so much so that, you know, no less than five years ago, the Nobel Prize was awarded to these three individuals for establishing this technique and for just how, how much of a difference it's making in the research field. To put it in perspective, Dr. Kendrew and Dr. Perutz won the Nobel Prize for protein X-ray crystallography 55 years earlier. So you could say that cryo-EM is you know, technically roughly 55 years behind X-ray crystallography, but wow, is it really shaking up the field now? Because now we have beautiful structures. This one came out just before the pandemic of one of the most important drug and toxin extrusion pumps in our body. This is human MDR1, a relative, close relative of the mouse protein that I crystallized from my postdoc. But this protein here is critical for detoxifying our bodies of xenobiotics and pesticides and even, even drugs like cytotoxins, the body views as uh, toxic. And so most of the chemicals and drugs that we take for, for, for whatever effect we want, our body views that as a toxin. And so it tries to clear, out, uh, to clear that out. And this is Taxol, which is used in just about every clinic for multiple different types of cancers. And and now we have really, really crisp resolution of how this protein, human MDR, 
uh, recognizes and pumps cattle out of the liver to help detoxify. And this is incredible because now we're going to be able to design new molecules that might be able to thwart this uh, drug resistance. And we might be able to make cancer chemotherapies more, more, uh, more important, uh, more, more potent. I would point out that the ability of cells to pump out toxins is very, very ancient in evolution. In fact, it goes back to what we call the pre-Cambrian era, uh, where single cell organisms like bacteria and molds and yeasts would compete with, with each other, essentially with chemical warfare. So they had to learn to pump uh, each other's toxins out in order to survive. So this family of drug tra uh, transporters goes back very, very far in evolution. And it turns out that CFTR has come on the scene much more recently, which I find really, really interesting. So this protein here, as I pointed out, uh, was solved by cryo-EM uh, just before the pandemic. This is what a microscope looks like. It's a big box, it's protected so that the sample, uh, it has very, very low drift. The, 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 the microscope holds your specimen so still that the drift is measured in angstroms per second. So an angstrom is 10 to the minus, uh, 10, to the minus 10 meters. So it's virtually still, it's very cold. Uh, and we can image that thanks to this, uh, this very small detector, which can fit in the palm of your hand. We see the electrons that come down the pipe here directly, uh, instead of converting them into light, which we had to do years ago with CCD detectors. So this makes the, uh, the signal much, much stronger. It's much, much faster. And we can see uh, in atomic resolution proteins now uh, that we don't even need to crystallize anymore. So it is revolutionary. That's no understatement, uh, particularly with our favorite protein. So you're seeing here human CFTR, which was solved, several structures have been solved now by uh, Dr. Ju Chen, who was at Purdue. Now she's at uh, Rockefeller. She's HHMI funded and, and funded by the CF Foundation. And, and this is the protein that really uh, uh, it, it, it sparked my interest because this is the first structure with Ibacaftor, also known as VX770. And I'm showing you two views in which I rotate the molecule here. And this area right here, where you see these squiggly lines, this is the, this is the cell bilayer, the membrane bilayer, where CFTR is anchored in that fatty part of the membrane. Everything here is, is inside the cell, where it binds the ATP and the protein gets phosphorylated, and the, and the cell uses enzymes to activate CFTR, so it pumps out a lot of chloride. Um, and the location of ibacaftor binding, VX770, is really, really quite a surprise here. It's on the outside of the molecule, right halfway through the lipid bilayer, where it's very, very fatty. We call that a low dielectric environment. And that's a real surprise as to where, uh, where this is bound. <clears throat> uh, so what I'm going to do now, thanks to our virtual uh, setup here, it's a lot easier for me to... Uh, to, to show you this in a different type of session where I can show you a zoom up of CFTR. So if you can just see that, Julie, hold your thumbs up so I can, uh, uh, okay. So we're looking at the same protein here in three-dimensional space. Uh, this is human CFTR. Ivacaftor is labeled as 770 here. Uh, and so we can see in exquisite detail, thanks to cryo-EM, what 770 is doing, okay? This is the first time uh, and we've ever been able to see how this molecule is working. Uh, and it's really, really intriguing because what I'm showing you here is what we call the atomic model. 
So the goal in structural biology is to take the, the raw data, which you see here in this beautiful mesh, which kind of hugs these atoms. The, the goal is to turn the blue mesh into the actual model, atomic model, which is what you see with these sticks and lines. So you can see the outline of the ivacaftor drug here in blue mesh. And this is a really, really good fit for the molecule in terms of atoms. All right, here in blue, this is the arginine 933. So in healthy wild type CFTR, we have arginine 933 in this position. And what we can see here is this uh, FDA approved drug is very, very close to this arginine. But if you look really, really carefully, there is some mesh here which doesn't have any atoms inside. All right, this is a total shocker for me. Um, in the original application, I think it's science hotspot. The authors could not explain what this was. They tried to identify what this could be by mass spectrometry, and they could not. It is basically unknown. But you can see that it is like an extension off this arginine 933. It's very, very intimately connected to this side chain. But there are extra atoms there, okay? And those extra atoms, we don't know what they are. They're in very, very close contact with this oxygen of VX770. So what we have here is a mechanism uh, that it, by which Ivacaftor is interacting with CFTR by a completely unknown set of atoms. That is really, really interesting and exciting. I'm not aware of any FDA approved drug that interacts with a protein through any kind of protein modification. So this could be a modification of arginine. We're frantically trying to figure out what it is. Um, and it could be a very rare modification that's essential for activation by 770. So that is extremely exciting for us. Um, and the, as a basis of my application, I thought, well, why don't we propose, since arginine 933 has never been mutated before in the literature, why don't we propose to make individual mutations of CFTR and study uh, what effect that has on its ability to conduct chloride, on its ability to be stimulated by uh, drugs like 770. And that is the essence of, of my proposal. So I'm gonna go back to the uh, PowerPoint presentation and continue along. So uh, this, Arginine 933, that's present in what we call wild type CFTR, healthy, normal CFTR. This is an analysis of, of as many different CFTRs that we can find in nature, going all the way back to the C. lamprey, which is the oldest known, uh, earliest long-lived species uh, of, of CFTR known. Lamprey are so old, they're, they don't even have a jaw. They're called jawless fish. Uh, and they go all the way back to the Cambrian explosion. Um, and it turns out this arginine is utterly conserved in every single CFTR. That's, a, that's an evolutionary argument that it must be really, really important because uh, there's, there's selective pressure to keep this an arginine in every CFTR that has ever existed on Earth, basically. Got to be really, really important all the way down to the jawless fish, all right? And I find it really interesting that no one has studied this uh, mutation at all, right? Um, and so uh, I'm gonna skip this part now because I'm getting uh, short on time. But the first thing to do 
with some residue like this amino acid that's so conserved is if you mutate it, is the protein even going to fold properly, right? So as we know, we have many different mutations of CFTR, including the worst of them, like Delta F508, where if you mutate the protein, it may not even fold right. Okay, so, so that was a concern that if we mutate an arginine that is totally conserved in all of nature, it may not fold. But we actually have a very nice, elegant test for that. Uh, and this slide is contributed by Dr. Wei Wang in our CF Research Center, where he made, uh, we've made up to nine mutations right now. And we can tell very, very easily with one type of assay whether the protein is folded or not by this uh, CFTR band B and C idea, which was published many years ago. So in order for CFTR to properly fold right, it has to pass a lot of um, tests inside the cell for it to get sorted to the plasma membrane. Um, and one of those, uh, one of those modifications uh, is a lot of glycosylation. Uh, and you attach uh, basically sugars to some parts of the CFTR so that it gets approved for folding and sorting to the plasma membrane. And that makes the band, uh, the, this dark band, a little bit higher on a gel, as you can see here with wild type CFTR. We call that band C. So folded CFTR runs as band C, but misfolded CFTR, like the F508 delta here, runs a little bit smaller. That's a band B. So this turns out to be a really quick test, a one quick test for whether the mutation is folded or not. And to my real complete surprise, every single mutation we've made now, nine so far, of this arginine 933 seems to be very well folded. In fact, some of them are what we call super folders. They're actually stronger than wild type CFTR. That is a complete shock to me. Because uh, remember, this position is conserved in nature going all the way back to lamprey, um, but it seems to be tolerated protein. Well, that's good because that means we can study any one of mutations for function. So this is a quick folding assay, but, but really the, the true test of CFTR is its function, its ability to conduct chloride atoms, and of course, to respond to potentiator drugs like ibucaftor. Uh, and so one of the best ways to do this uh, is good old school electrophysiology, which I had some training uh, even before my PhD with David Dawson and John Forrest, but we have a really great uh, macro patch set up here at UAB in the, in the CF Center. And so this is also the work by Dr. Wei Wang. And what this is, if you take a cell uh, with expressing a lot of CFTR represented by these little dots here, we can carefully push a very, very small glass pipette down on that cell and we can capture a little bit of membrane in which there are CFTR molecules, in this case, these arginine mutations. And then we can show how well uh, those chloride channels open and close uh, electrophysiolog uh, electrophysiologically. So that's what you're seeing here is uh, we see the wild type CFTR. This is a control in which we have the native arginine 933. So I, I put this, uh, uh, the periodic table down here for reference. This arginine is the native arginine and that behaves really, really well. You can activate with an enzyme that we have in our cells and with ATP that we have in our cells, we're activating CFTR naturally here up until the point where we can add an FDA approved drug like Ivacaftor. And uh, that actually helps the channel open up even more. So you get a little bit more current uh, up and down. So the, the reason why this is bobbling up and down is we, we alternate the voltage from negative to positive. 
And if there's any ions that really want to move through a channel, uh, they move and the, the, the amount of current is proportional to the height of these lines. So the further we get away from this time axis, the more current we have. And we also know importantly that this is all current from CFTR because we add at the end of the experiment, an inhibitor to totally shut off the proteins. And so that's how we know this current is specifically chloride from CFTR as opposed to another channel. And so we can see here, we've got really good activation of wild type CFTR, including a little extra activation by Ivacaptor. So if I move to the next slide, we make the R933K mutation. Uh, K is the same thing as lysine as shown here. And we can tell from our periodic table that this arginine and lysine are in the same column. Turns out they're both positively charged. So they're related to one another. And in fact, the side chain here that I'm tracing with my cursor is about the same length as arginine. Uh, and they, really the only difference is the arginine has two nitrogens in which there's a, a positive charge that's kind of shared between the two. The lysine has one point charge. So it's a little more of an intense charge, but it's still positive. So they're very, very similar amino acids, and it's not really that much of a surprise that this mutant behaves just like wild-type CFTR. It can be opened by the natural cell enzymes, and we can also stimulate a little bit more with 770. But it gets more interesting when we start to make much more significant changes to CFTR. So this is the R933A mutation. So A is alanine, and it is one of the very short amino acids. It's very small. It doesn't have a very long side chain. It's, it's not very chemically active. In fact, it's really just one little methyl carbon, which makes it a tiny little hydrophobic molecule. It doesn't have a whole lot of chemical activity. Uh, and, and also I might point out that uh, Dr. Ju Chen, who saw the first structure of CFTR with Ivacaptor, did explore this, uh, some mutations of this area because uh, she could see first uh, that this area was really, really important for ivacaftor binding, just like I showed you in my uh, other session there live. And so when her lab made this R933A mutation, she could not observe any binding at all of ivacaftor. And I thought that was really, really interesting because we are seeing activation of this mutant by ivacaftor in patch corn. So this is really, really interesting because maybe, just maybe, uh, Ivacaftor might be finding a new binding site in this mutation, or there may be a second binding site. But it's very clear that this mutation is still activated by Ivacaftor. You also might notice that this current here, before we activate with Ivacaftor, is low. And we see this with a lot of these mutations. The, the basal activity of CFTR is low, but then the protein can be stimulated much, much more by ivacaftor. That's really, really a unique electrophysiological signature of the protein. So in, the, in this next slide, if we mutate to uh, an E, an R933E, where is that? Well, E happens to be right here. Uh, which is completely on the other side. So yes, you guessed it. This is a negatively charged amino acid. These are positively charged. This is a completely different charge. Uh, <coughs> and, and one might expect a very, very different response. But essentially, we're seeing something really, really similar. Similar. We see a little bit lower activity here 
before stimulation, but then we see a lot of stimulation with ibocaftor. That's also completely unexpected, uh, uh, but very, very exciting. And so what I can say near the end of the presentation here is that um, we're seeing a really unique phenomenon for this specific mutation, which has never been studied before. What we're seeing is that uh, the low level activation of CFTR with normal endogenous enzymes is lower for any of the mutations. You're seeing five on here, but we've got four more that we're tidying up the statistics for this graph. Um, they're not quite as strong in activating chloride current compared to wild type. But what is really interesting is when you stimulate these five mutations, they actually activate more than wild type CFTR. And that, that hints that uh, 770 is doing something really, really synergistically with the protein. And it could possibly be, particularly because uh, in some of the really, really short amino acids, there's no possibility for an alanine mutation to make direct contact with the molecule. The side chain is just way too short. And so there's a possibility that Ivacaftor may be adjusting to a new binding site. But what's very clear is we're getting a completely unexpected activation that's, uh, of, these, of these mutations at this site that's even higher than wild type CFTR. So now we're poised to explore with this new technique called cryo-EM where Ivacaftor is binding to this mutation, these mutations, which have never been studied before. Uh, and, and thanks to a really great collaboration with another colleague here at UAB and funded through the CF Foundation, um, uh, he's, he, Dr. Caps is providing us with pure protein of any mutant that we ask for. And so what you're seeing is really, really high quality CFTR of one of our mutations. This is R933Y. And, and what we have done here with our own microscope at UAB, we're showing that we're getting beautifully folded CFTR protein. Uh, I have a character that's actually present in the sample, um, but by this uh, negative stain procedure, we're, we're very limited resolution. So we can only conclude that the protein is folded and is in really, really good shape for higher res resolution cryo-EM studies. So this is what we're planning to do in our second year of funding is we're gonna find out where Ivacaptor is binding uh, to this mutation because it's clearly activating the protein uh, and there may be a possibility of a completely different binding site. So we're very, very excited about it. Um, so just to run through the quick conclusions, uh, human CFTR arginine 933 is totally invariant in molecular evolution. It's totally preserved, it never changes. Uh, which highlights that it's got to be important for the function of protein. I showed you that uh, in 2019, uh, the cryo structure with Ivacaptor shows that R933 probably plays a really important role in binding because the drug is very, very close to this location. <coughs> uh, and there's even this new set of atoms that no one even knows what, what they're there for. We're, we're trying to figure out what's going on there. Um, nine different mutations so far. Uh, are fully folded as far as we can tell. They, they make band C uh, and, and they're functional in the electrophysiology assay. And some of them are even super folders, which is great news for structural biology because that means we'll get a lot of really great protein for cryo-EM. Um, five of the mutants exhibited lower basal chloride conductance compared to wild type. Uh, and some of them, most of them were even strongly stimulated by VX770, well above wild type CFTR, which is also very, very exciting. Um, and so finally, we're, we're really poised to determine a structure 
in the presence of Ivacaftor, the FDA approved drug, um, at this new site uh, mutations uh, to test the hypothesis that the drug may adjusting or maybe binding to a completely different a completely different site. And that's not out of the realm of possibility because um, in the structures we have of CFTR so far, uh, the, the CFTR is surrounded by a detergent. It's not present in the native lipid bilayer. And that may be influencing the location of the drug. And so we're also trying to work on putting the protein back into real lipids, native lipids, uh, to study uh, the binding of 7-7. So uh, the exciting questions to follow up on are, you know, what explains the disconnect between the low chloride current of R933, yet it's still, the proteins are strongly uh, activated by 7-7. This is a real mystery right now. Uh, does VX770 bind in the same place for R933A, which is uh, very uh, interesting to us because uh, the original group saw no binding at all in, in a binding assay, but we know that it stimulates. So that's really, really exciting to us. Um, is the current hotspot from the 2019 science paper, uh, is it the same binding site in the cell, in the membrane? In other words, is this binding site a bit artifactual because uh, the structure was solved in detergent. We have to keep that in mind as a possibility. Um, and if there is a different more physiological site that can be identified, uh, of course, are we able to design a better potentiator? That's one of the goals here is, can we use this high precision structural knowledge to design better drugs? And I think the answer is definitely yes, uh, because cryo-EM is making it much, much easier and quicker for us to get structures of different mutants and, and different compounds. So it's very, very exciting for us. Um, and I think I'll stop there and I'll take any questions that you might have. Uh, thank you for an excellent presentation. Um, feel free to write in your questions to the chat box if you have any, I don't see any yet. Um, I had a couple of my own. On the patch clamp charts that you were showing, you had the addition of the um, ibicaptor, and then you had curcumin added a little bit further on. What was the point of that? Great question. So uh, I believe Marie Egan at Yale years ago described curcumin uh, as an activator of CFTR. I think she was the first one. Uh, curcumin is, a, as you know, is a natural uh, extract uh, that had received early attention as an activator. Uh, we, we do not know the mechanism of action of curcumin, you know, 25 years later, which I find really interesting. The point of adding it here was that if curcumin had a much bigger effect after 770, one would argue that it worked by a different mechanism. But because we don't see a real big difference in uh, curcumin uh, stimulation after ibacaftor, it's quite possible that they work by similar mechanisms uh, they don't synergize and they don't add together or not. So um, the answer, the short answer is we don't exactly know how it works, but I can say that it, it's definitely not synergistic stimulation uh, with CFTR. But we included an experiment because we wanted to test the possibility that it worked by a completely different mechanism of 770. Mm -hmm. and, and since cryo-EM is relatively straightforward, we can determine where the curcumin binding site is and if it competes with 770, that would be really interesting to, to find out. So that's a great question. Yeah, or, and like, did you ever um, put just curcumin in 
without the VX770 to see? Oh, yes. Yeah. If, if you add curcumin, it will stimulate, not quite to the extent of 770, uh, but, but it, will, it will stimulate CFTR. We don't know if it stimulates any of my mutants without 770. That we haven't done yet, but it, it will activate wild-type CFTR to some degree. I just don't have those traces here. Yeah, yeah, cool. And you you mentioned the superfolders. So by superfolders, do you mean that there's just a more intense band C, or yeah, we, um, are they tightly more tightly folded, or what, what does that mean? So it, interestingly, you know, even wild type CFTR is not an efficiently folded protein. So I've read reports where about seventy percent of wild type CFTR. In, uh, in, in individuals that don't have any mutations is degraded. So uh, that only means about 30% of our, our CFTR is actually making it to the cell surface. So it's a real fussy protein, actually. Uh, it's not a very stable molecule in terms of evolution. I think I know why, because uh, you know the, uh, this super family, these ATP transporters, uh, most of them are, are printers, they're actually, uh, they use energy to pump something out of the cell. Uh, but for some reason, relatively recent in evolution, CFTR evolved to be a channel, which is more of an open-closed motion. But it's trying to, it's trying to uh, change the essential architecture of a transporter to function as a channel. And that seems to be evolutionary, very difficult. It's not very efficient. And so even wild-type CFTR is not folded very efficiently. <laughs> And so when we call something a superfolder, um, we're doing that because uh, equal amounts of total protein are loaded in these lanes. And so we can conclude that there is a much higher abundance uh, per cell of, for example, R933W compared to wild type CFTR. That means that R93W is more efficiently folded than wild type CFTR. It's really, really interesting because uh, now we're talking about protein folding. You know, in Delta F508, we use Lumicaptor to, uh, to correct the defect. That's a separate class of drugs. Correctors fix folding problems. Potentiators help gating problems. But th this particular site seems to be involved in both folding and gating. And that's really, really exciting to me. Uh, and and the, some of these mutants are clearly more efficient in the folding than even wild type CFGR is. So yeah. does that answer the question? Yes, it does. Thank you. Um, okay, I have a couple here. Um, Dennis Nielsen would like to know, it says, uh, have you studied other potentiators? There are some that have been used for in vitro studies. Uh, no, we've only studied 770, uh, but yeah, we are poised in our second year of funding uh, to to work with other uh, potentiators as well. We really want to know where 770 binds to because that's uh, that's that's an FDA approved drug, and um, you know we have this we have this idea that uh, it it might actually shift to a new site. So uh, the cryo EM we, we really want to complete that in our second year of funding. So we're really really focused on it. But in terms of electrophysiology, you know it would be straightforward to study other potentiators as well. I think perhaps maybe the questioner is getting at different types of mechanisms. So like the curcumin, we could put a different type of potentiator on before or after 770 to try to tease out whether they work by different uh, mechanisms or the same mechanism, which you would be able to tell by electrophysiology. So that's a great question. Yeah. 
Um, Devin Wakefield asks, I wonder if anyone will look at these super folders as potential CF treatments somehow. Well, that would be the new topic of, you know, genetic modifications, which is not my specialty. Uh, uh, but of course, uh, I, I think that CFTR is a, is a fantastic topic for that. Uh, you know, just because we, 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 know, uh, we know a lot about each mutation and we know so much about what happens when they go wrong. Uh, and so I think that cystic fibrosis uh, uh, is, is a highly amenable to conversations about, uh, about uh, genetic modifications and so forth. But that's not my direct area of expertise. I just think it's very uh, good stimulation, uh, uh, stimulating conversation to think about that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good food for thought. Uh, Beata Illich says, uh, what do you think is the empty density reflecting that is not part of the model yeah. of Ivacaptor binding? Great, great question. It was actually in my CFRI proposal uh, because um, there, are, there are amino acid modifications of arginine. So if I if I could just stop and uh, move over to the other presentation again, because I still have it up on my screen. Um, th there are there are known post-translational modifications of arginine. Uh, there are uh, there are sulfates that can be added. Um, there are carbonates that can be added, uh, but they're all really, really rare in biology. All right. So oh, and what, what's also clear from this data is this, this is more than one atom, right? So this is not just a chloride ion sticking off of there. I had considered that because I thought maybe this was some kind of really cool chloride sensor, but th th this is more than one atom. Chloride is one atom. This is about four atoms or maybe even five atoms, all right? So it really looks like it's a post-translational modification, but we cannot find, uh, basically we cannot find those peaks in the mass spec. So. My lab has tried it. We worked really hard with our mass spec facility, which is very, very good. Uh, authors from Rockefeller, a very good mass spec. They cannot identify it. So this, this could possibly be a brand new post-translational modification, which is exciting, but of course, it's gonna be very difficult to uh, determine what these atoms are. Uh, uh, and I've, I've done some computational work you know, to try to guess that, but really until we do basic experiments, we're really not gonna know. So it's gonna be challenging, but very exciting as well. Great, thank you. Um, I do not see, if you have anybody has a question, type it in real quick. We have another minute or two. Um, okay, Devin says, is there any way this random thing sticking out of the arginine is really a mistake? <laughs> well, that's that's the first question I asked. Right? <laughs> you, you hope your you hope your competitors make a mistake so then you can scoop them. But uh, yeah. <laughs> it turns out it turns out uh, it, it, Dr. Ju Chen has uh, three structures of CFTR. Actually, two two came out just recently. Um, that arginine that that random thing sticking out as the questioner points out, that's present in all three of our structures. All right, oh, wow. so that's multiple observations. It's even present in the first structure of CFTR that doesn't have any drugs in it. Right, so it's not a, a factor of drug binding. It's pre-existing with the protein, all right, which makes it super exciting. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's something really hot. Uh, thanks for the question. 
Very good. Well, thank you very, very much for this, um, Dr. Aller. This has been fabulous.